Welcome to the Arate Podcast. My name is Richard Triggs, and today's guest is John Wagner, Chairman of Wagner Group Holdings. Thanks again for joining us. I trust that wherever you are listening to this podcast, you're having a great day and you're involved in lots of interesting and exciting tasks and challenges and opportunities to grow and develop your career to its fullest potential. For those people who aren't familiar with me, my name is Richard Triggs. I'm the managing partner of Arate Executive. We're a Brisbane-based executive recruitment company that recruits CEOs, senior leaders, and non-executive directors for our clients throughout Australia. I would certainly welcome the opportunity to have a chat to you about any recruitment requirements you may have within your own organisation. I'd also encourage you that if you think your CEO or chair would be a good guest for this podcast to reach out to me to have a discussion about how we can potentially make that happen. So anyway, let's get on now with our podcast and let me introduce to you John Wagner. John Wagner was born and grew up in Toowoomba, Queensland, Australia. He worked in the construction materials and transport sectors across Australia and the USA from 1979 until 1989, then establishing Wagner Investments in November 1989 with his family. Today, Wagner Investments is a vertically integrated construction materials and mining services business employing over 1,000 full-time people in five countries. Wagner's also recently funded, constructed, and now operates the first privately funded public utility airport in Australia, called Brisbane West Wellcamp Airport. Opening in November 2014, the airport boasts a strong performing domestic passenger business and has driven increased in investment and economic optimism across the region. Wagner's was honoured with the Premier's Award at Queensland's 150 year celebrations as a company that has had the biggest impact in regional Queensland in 150 years. Sit back and enjoy this conversation with John Wagner. So, John, welcome to the Arate Podcast. Thanks very much for your hospitality here at the uh, Brisbane West Wilcamp Airport, which I'd never been to before, but a, a very impressive uh, airport up uh, in Toowoomba. Uh, for the people who are listening to the podcast, maybe just to begin with, just talk to us a little bit about your current responsibilities professionally. Thanks, uh, Richard. Um, I'm the chairman of Wagner Global Services. Uh, I'm one of four brothers that own the Wagner group businesses. Um, I chair the board of Wagners. Um, I look after the international business and uh, I look after the airport operational side of the business. Um, so that, uh, you know, along with the standard business development you do as an owner mm -hmm. and director, um, that's how I fill my day in. Okay, sure. And I suppose, uh, you know, the airport is the latest in uh, what has been a successful range of diversified businesses for you. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, the, the airport um, is really a land play for us. Um, that's how it started, but it's 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 working into a much bigger uh, deal for us than, than just a straight land play. So we, we have a 5,000 acre property here. We, um, we bought it 21 years ago to run um, cattle on and for quarry for a major quarry. Um, we started to build our Wellcamp Business Park and uh, we quickly worked out that we would have trouble attracting people to Toowoomba uh, because there was no connectivity. Mm -hmm. So uh, as a result of that, we decided to build an airport. So it's the second biggest inland city in Australia and no airport of any note. Um, and uh, um, that's a bit of history with the airport. Um, Wagner's is a, a very diversified business. Um, we have uh, a heavy construction materials business comprising of cement, fly ash, uh, aggregates, you know, uh, contract crushing, contract concrete plants around the country and around the world, in fact. 
Uh, we've got a transport business, um, a composite fibre technology business, which is a very exciting um, business. And uh, then we have uh, quite a big property portfolio, mm-hmm. uh, of which the airport is part of that. Sure. And if you talk about the overall group of businesses in terms of total headcount, etc., what would be some of the key metrics? Um, this year, um, uh, we're down to about uh, 680 full-time mm-hmm. employees, uh, down from 1,100 at the peak. Uh, our business is very dependent on the major projects, so if the major projects are off the boil, which they are at the moment, sure. or coming off the boil, uh, our headcount goes down. Mm-hmm. So that's really the major metric that we look at, and uh, we don't typically disclose turnover or no, profit. No, fair enough. Okay. So what I like to do with these conversations, John, is uh, start right back where it all began. So maybe tell us a little bit about where you were born and you know your family growing up and your early schooling, etc. cetera. Uh, born in uh, Toowoomba in 1960. Um, uh, grew, grew up in Toowoomba, um, went to the Christian Brothers from grade four to grade 12. I then went to university for two and a half years and, and wasted two and a half years of my life. Um, <laughs> doing engineering. Doing civil engineering right. until, they, until they booted me out. Um, I then went and operated a D9 dozer up at Trong Power Station mm-hmm. uh, for 18 months and went overseas, drove trucks in the US, came back when I was 21, uh, started working for my father's business. Um, uh, he had a concrete and quarry business, um, worked for him and his two brothers um, for four years. They sold out. Uh, to the Kern Corporation, Sellers Concrete back in those days. Stayed on to run the, the local business that, that my father had sold. Uh, for that organisation, they got sold to Robert Holmes Accord, who got uh, taken over by Bondi, who went broke. The business ended up in the hands of CSR ReadyMix. Uh, they promoted me as a uh, to a senior position on the Gold Coast, um, uh, did that for a year and a bit, um, and uh, myself and my brother uh, Dennis and a, a few others um, bought a hotel in Toowoomba. Mm-hmm. It was in receivership whilst we were working for CSR, and um, that was a, a very successful venture. And uh, the hierarchy at CSR couldn't really understand why two of their area managers were had their own business and. Were making what seemed to be good money, uh, so myself and Dennis left CSR in 1988 for me and 89 for Dennis, and we started Wagner's uh, along with Neil and my father Henry. So four equal shareholders, um, one concrete plant in Toowoomba. Uh, I was a loader driver. Dennis was a trucking. Neil was on the Waybridge and. Oh. And, um, you know, we worked extremely hard and, sure. and uh, sort of the rest is history. Great. So just uh, to backtrack a little bit on that, so uh, one of uh, three boys, one of four boys? Uh, there's eight children in the family, right. five boys, three girls. Okay. And where were you out of the eight? In I, terms? I was number two. Number two. Yep. So right. um, I have three sisters, two are lawyers, married to lawyers, and the other one's a nurse. Okay. And so growing up in your family, your father was obviously quite entrepreneurial. Um, was business, you know, always expected that that would be uh, the area that you would go into? No, there was no pressure on um, any of the children to, to go into a particular enterprise. Mm-hmm. Um, it just sort of happened that way. And, and uh, uh, you know, I had grown up with, with trucks and inloaders and concrete plants. So it was sort of second nature to me. Uh, and the same with Dennis, I think, really. And, uh, uh, you know, we we just went about um, working for other people first and, mm-hmm. and getting the experience and the confidence and to start our own business. Sure. And the uh, the time that you spent overseas, what led to you uh, wanting to go and do that? Oh, just get away. Right. And, and uh, go and sort of experience the world. And, uh-huh. um, I turned up in the US. I was 20. Um, I couldn't get a drink because you had to be 21. Right. 
So I had to get a false ID the second day I was there in order I could get a drink. And then I worked my way around the country and right. ended up driving interstate trucks um, as a furniture removalist, and that was a fantastic experience. Okay. And so how long were you away for in total? Uh, six months in the first stint. Then I went back a few years later okay. uh, for another round. Mm-hmm. Um, but really, you know, I, I've only re-spent one six-month stint. Sure. Uh, specifically uh, over there, holiday mm-hmm. and working. And then uh, did you always feel that Toowoomba was going to be the place that you'd eventually put down proper roots in terms of not only living but uh, also from a business point of view? No, no, not at that point in time. I, uh, I, I came back because my father asked me to come back and, and work in the family business. Mm-hmm. Uh, it seemed like a good idea at the time. Um, you know, I... I had no particular plans to, to stay in Toowoomba. Mm-hmm. Um, in hindsight, I've said to a lot of people I should have stayed in the US. I would have made a lot more money, I think. Right. Um, but anyway, I, I'm, we're here. Sure. Um, and, uh, you know, I've got four children. I live in Toowoomba. I'm not about to leave. Yeah. It's where our business is, and, mm-hmm. and it's a great place to, mm-hmm. to do business, great place to live. Sure. And when you say um, you would have made a lot of more money, potentially, if you'd lived in the US, did you think... Even back then, you had it within yourself that you wanted to be a, a business builder? Uh, when you're 21, you don't look at things like that. It's sure. just about having a good time and trying to make a few bucks and do a few deals. You mm-hmm. know? And, and uh, it, it wasn't something that you know I had aspirations for. I knew I always wanted to work for myself, yep. but you know that wasn't set in stone by any stretch of the imagination. Okay. And it was really the hotel that first got uh, you uh, to the place where you owned a successful business and, and gave you the confidence that that was the way you wanted to head. Yeah, I, I think so. We, we bought the hotel um, in 1988. Um, it was a good story, actually. We were, we were kicked out of there three weeks earlier by the then publican right. um, who wouldn't serve us, which was totally unfair. So uh, long story short, we raised... Uh, a few dollars and we bought it and uh, then kicked him out. Was and, it for uh, sale or you uh, are? Was... It was in receivership. Right. So Westpac were the receivers and they okay. were actively trying to sell it. Right. We uh, we started on the 5th of November 1988 and, and uh, had no idea what we were doing. But we, right. We learned pretty quickly and uh, the hotel was doing, you know, order of magnitude, $18,000 a week and you know, 12 months later, we were at $100,000 a day. Right, so wow. It was a pretty uh, pretty good business, and we just went back to old-fashioned principles. Sure. And how old would you have been then? Uh, I was 28. Okay. And so how hard was it for you as a 28-year-old to raise the money necessary to uh, buy it? Uh, it was quite difficult, actually. The banks didn't want to know us because we didn't have many assets. Yeah. We ended up convincing a guy here in Toowoomba to lend us the majority of the money mm-hmm. and uh, the bank the balance, and um, and we, we paid him back in no time, and, okay. and it was a good story. And whilst it didn't give us the, the money to get into concrete, it certainly gave us the confidence that we could, sure. we could back ourselves into a project. Okay. And you mentioned that a lot of the success was going back to good old-fashioned principles. Yeah. What, what kind of things do you mean by that? Uh, cleanliness, good service, good meals, um, a good good day, uh, competitive pricing, a- and um, just run a good outfit. Right. Know, that that uh, the people felt comfortable that when they came to the Stock Exchange Hotel, that they would get a good meal and would get good service. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And and that's really how we've run our business totally uh, ever since. Right. Okay. And so. Um you uh, had your day job with CSR, and uh, you see, so obviously had some people working in the hotel, and you uh, essentially sat on the board. Uh, we didn't have a board. Well, um, it was uh, a situation where we'd work um, through the day in the concrete business, and then right. go and work in the bottle shop or the bar of a night. Time. Okay, okay. And uh, which we enjoyed doing. We were sure. single, so it was pretty easy. Yeah, know? yeah. And so when you first started Wagner's. Uh, what was your sort of grand vision for what you wanted to achieve then? Uh, when we first started, we didn't have a grand vision. We thought if we ever got to $50 million turnover that we'd be happy with that. Right. Um, and, you know, the day we started in concrete, the price of concrete dropped 
$45 a cubic metre. Right. Which was 45% back in those days. Okay, what caused that? A price war. Okay. There was a cartel in Toowoomba. Right. Amongst the big guys and, and they sort of made public statements that they're going to break us and mm-hmm. run us out of town and the local people stuck to us. Mm-hmm. Price of aggregate went up 77% same day. Okay. So our raw materials went up and price of concrete went down. So it was tough, first 12 months. Yeah. Uh, price war ended 12 months later and uh, then we thought we won't get ourselves in a position where we're not in control of our raw mm-hmm. materials. So price war ended because people just got beaten out of the market? Or no, what? the price war ended because the big guys were losing four times what we were. Right. You know, we were lean and mean and yeah, we sure. had no overhead and, mm-hmm. and um, <clears throat> we uh, we operated on the smell of an oily rag. You know, So you beat them at their own game? We beat them at their own game. And they were, fat and arrogant and, sure. and all that sort of stuff. So um, after the price were ended, we, we bought a quarry then and uh, started uh, in the quarrying business yep. and that sort of really got us going. Right, you know? to own your supply chain. To own as much of the supply chain as we could mm-hmm. back in those days with the limited capital we had. But what it, it, what it meant is that we had the only quarry that had 24-hour access. We had the only quarry with road train access so we could transport our raw materials very competitively. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, we um, we were in control of our own destiny pretty well from mm-hmm. that point. But at that stage, it was still a very sort of Toowoomba-centric business, was it? It was a very Toowoomba-centric business. That was in... Uh, we started in 1989, so that was in 1990. Started ninety one. We started the quarry. Yeah, and uh, we were still it was still very centric. But then we started to add more concrete plants. We bought a few mm-hmm. little guys out, and then that gave us a bit more of a regional perspective. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we just sort of gradually uh, acquired more uh, concrete plants and started more concrete plants, and started working further afield. Mm-hmm. And um, further afield meaning geographically. Geographically, so we, we were doing jobs in, you know, Cloncurry, the Ernest Henry uh, copper mine there. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were doing the Wayala feedlot, so that those jobs were a big help to us to, mm-hmm. to expand um, the business and give us more geographical reach. And not only from a, uh, from a um, the point of view of um, geography, but it certainly gave us... Um, a good buffer if one part of the business was getting su- substantial rainfall. Mm-hmm. You know, when you get heavy rainfall, there's no concrete. So provided it wasn't raining all over the state, we were mm-hmm. getting some revenue from somewhere. Mm, okay. And then what would you say was the next major milestone in terms of the evolution of the business uh, to what it is today? Uh, the next major milestone was buying the Wellcam property, which is where the airport is. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and we bought that specifically for a quarry. Right. So it then became the closest quarry and the biggest quarry in Toowoomba. Um, and, and that just really set us apart from our, our opposition. Mm-hmm. Um, from there, we branched out to Gundawindi, to Townsville, uh, and then into Brisbane, which was okay. a big move. Mm-hmm. And um, from that point of view, we, in 2007 decided to uh, put our own cement plant in. Okay. A grinding plant on the Brisbane River. Um, and there was, a once again, a duopoly in Queensland. Mm-hmm. There was cement rationing. We were getting squeezed by the big guys who owned the cement businesses, so we, uh, we put our own cement grinding plant in. And uh, that really then just changed the total dynamic of the business. Mm-hmm. And what, in, what was the... the major key change then? Oh, the key change was we were totally in control of our right of our raw material yep. supply. Mm-hmm. Um, and compared to the other independents, we were the only ones with cement. Mm-hmm. So the two cement companies were and still are still owned by international mm-hmm. concrete companies. So we were the the main player right. as far as an independent goes in the state. Okay, great. And um I imagine that uh, it must have been an interesting dynamic. Uh, it's a uh, father and uh, a bunch of sons. Uh, you know, you, you all grew up together. How did uh, the business evolve in terms of you each finding your own sort of 
responsibilities and working to each other's strengths and weaknesses? Uh, it was it was quite easy actually. Um, Dad basically came into the business to keep a quarter shareholding for our youngest uh, brother, Joe. Okay. Yeah. Um, Dad exited the business in two thousand six, and Joe came in. So there's four equal shareholders. Right. And it really evolved. I was the concrete guy. Dennis was the quarry guy. Neil was the transport guy. That's the way it sort of happened. Yeah. Back in those days. Um, because that was our sort of our natural uh, strengths. And um, then we graduated to our international business and, mm-hmm. and I um, I left the concrete side in Australia and went to run the international business. Yep. And then Dennis took over the basically the Australian business and mm-hmm. we started uh, Composite Fibre Technologies and Neil took that on and it, it was just a natural evolution. Sure. And you started an engineering degree, but uh, eventually gave it away. What about any of the other brothers? Did anybody go on into any sort of professional business qualification? Uh, Joe's the only one. He's a right. He's a, um, a boiler maker by trade. Okay, but yeah. he went back and did some kind of a business qualification. No, no, no. Oh no, he did a trade qualification. Just a trade qualification. Right. So, so none of us have any tertiary qualifications. Okay, and so in that period of you know the early growth and your strategy and, and so on. Did you um, get any external sort of mentorship or uh, No, not, support? Pa- not particularly. We, we just worked it out ourselves. And, right. And, um, you know, we didn't really look at too much strategy mm-hmm. uh, until 2002. Okay. Uh, and we did that from a, a senior management level and we got an external facilitator in for a weekend to help us and mm-hmm. set our guiding principles and set ourselves a 10-year... Um, plan to, yep. to, to do what we needed to do with the business um, and sort of lived and breathed that mm-hmm. really. Mm-hmm. But it sounds as though you got a lot of things right, you know, uh, as it kind of unfolded. What, what do you think it was about you and about the, the family that enabled you to consistently make good decisions like that? Well, we, we, we made a few poor decisions along the way. Um, we went into different businesses to, to try and diversify. Mm-hmm. Um some of those were pretty ordinary and, you know, I, I say to a lot of people, the sign of a really good business person is is someone who's prepared to say this isn't going to work, so let's shut it down and get out of it. Right. Um, so what would be an example of one of those that you uh, uh, we Well, we went into the um, swimming pool servicing business. Okay. Crazy, just dumb stuff. You right. Know? Um, and uh, pool fencing and that sort of thing. And, and what we worked out was... You know, it was such a small business yep. and you couldn't get scale. Yep. So you'd spend 80% of your time sorting out that instead of sure. sorting out the big business. Yeah. So we, you know, sold off some businesses over the years and sh- shut some down and just rationalised mm. it. Um, and, and we pretty well stick to, to what we know. Mm. And, um, and so do you think getting into, say, a pool servicing business, which is obviously radically different to what your core business was, was that because you just got a bit bored and were looking for fun new things to try or you actually thought that there was legitimately going to be something special there? No, we thought we could have, you know, made something of it. Okay. It was, uh, in, in hindsight, you know, it cost us nothing to really get into it. Um, it cost us nothing to get out of it. But mm-hmm. It was a distraction. Yeah, sure. So, you know, the advice I'd give people is, is think really clearly about what, why you're doing things and, mm-hmm. and why you would actually look at something different. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, before you right. jump in. And so when was it that you uh, decided to move out into an international business? We won our first international job in 2002, January, Okay. Uh, for Bechtel in New Caledonia. Mm-hmm. And uh, um, that was a big job for us back in those days. So what, what was that involved? Concrete with? supply for the Goro Nickel Project. And so you were supplying from Australia? No, we, were, we set up in New Caledonia, right. which is okay. a French territory, yep. very... Very political, very difficult place to do business. So I actually um, moved there with my family, uh-huh. four young kids. And um, so I knew how an international business worked. Um, and, you know, it was difficult. There were cartels everywhere. It was very controlled. Uh, so we were the new kids in town and upset mm. the apple cart. Why do you think it was that Wagners were able to secure that um, private Prior to that, you were a very sort of southeast Queensland business. 
uh, how did you get you know the opportunity to have a crack? Uh, through Bechtel. So Bechtel's a, you know one of the biggest construction companies in the world. Yeah. Um, and uh, we'd just completed the Mormeran power station for them. We'd okay. done the concrete, the steel, and the aggregates, and didn't have a far. You didn't have a blue. Right. And we performed extremely well, and they said, why don't you come to New Caledonia? We're having problems over there, and, mm-hmm. and bid for that job, which we did. Mm-hmm. So that's how we got into it. Um, we got to New Caledonia. There were three big concrete companies who all had a cartel. Mm-hmm. So the prices were ridiculous, and uh, it was a good opportunity for us to expand our network. Ridiculous meaning they were charging way above. Yeah, charging sort of three times what they should Right. Be. So it was a great, great opportunity for you to come in and offer some real competitive advantage. Yep. Yeah, right. Competitive advantage, good service. Once, mm-hmm. you, know, you know, Bechtel liked dealing with people that own the company, mm-hmm. you know, so. And how long did you actually live there for? Um, I, I lived there uh, probably for about, uh, I left there in March 2013, so about, Eight or nine months, probably. Okay, yeah. The job actually got cancelled. Um, Bechtel got sacked. All the contractors got sacked apart from us. Mm-hmm. We were kept on for two and a half years until the project restarted. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, so then we, we sent a bunch of people back there two and a half years later and started okay. the project back up again. So. And so if, uh, in terms of your international business now, where is that? What different... You've read five uh, countries, is that right? Pub, Papua New Guinea, Mongolia. Um, uh, we don't do anything more in Russia, um, and uh, we, we run our international head office and our back office out of Malaysia. Right, and that has all sort of been in a similar way off the back of an existing client relationship. It's, who's asked you to come? It's it's only off the back of major projects. Right. Okay. Mm. And what um, uh, sort of percentage of your business now would be? Um, Regional Australia versus international. Right at the moment, uh, because the international projects, it's like Australia, the mm-hmm. quiet and down is probably only you know, next to nothing. Mm-hmm. But that could change dramatically next year and be bigger than the Australian business. Right. So it, it goes in cycles. Sure, okay. And so before we start talking about the airport, which I'm keen to get into in a lot more detail, what are some of the other major milestones in terms of the evolution of the uh, Wagner's business? Uh, probably the other major milestone was uh, we did a deal with Borrell in um, 2011, four years ago, um, where we sold our retail concrete business in four quarries uh, for 170 million bucks, mm-hmm. um, and that was a, a a big deal for us mm-hmm. back in those days, um, and uh, it probably put us in a position. Um, a very strong position financially, mm-hmm. and it put us in a, a pretty good place actually. So right. that was that was a, a big deal for us. And was that a situation where you went looking for a buyer, or they came and t- tapped on your shoulder? No, they came and tapped on our shoulder okay. and wanted to buy our, our total construction materials business, mm-hmm. which the A Triple C wouldn't allow. So we kept the cement and flyish business, and we sold to them mm-hmm. uh, on a twenty-year take or pay agreement, and. Uh, um, we sold the retail concrete and quarry business. Mm-hmm. Because it just made sense at the time or you were keen um, particularly um, to get out of that? No, I think it was, a, it was a good deal for them. It was a good deal for us. Mm-hmm. Um, they got a, a big footprint, particularly in this region, quickly. Okay. Uh, just before the boom or just mm-hmm. as the boom was starting. Um, and it was a good deal for both parties. Okay. And through making that sale, what did that allow you then to open up in terms of new opportunity? Well, what it allowed us to do, it gave us the capital and the balance sheet to be able to build the airport, for instance. Right, okay. We couldn't have done that without having done that deal. Mm-hmm. Oh, we, we would have been able to do it eventually, but it would have been difficult in the same time frame. Mm-hmm. So how long ago was it that you uh, had the first thoughts about you know this idea of building an airport and... Uh, and starting to get serious about that? Uh, we made the decision in April 2012 mm-hmm. to uh, build an airport. We really didn't know much about it, about the business at the time. We, there's a number of us fly fixed-wing and helicopters. So, uh, so that's really not to... that long ago, is it? Only no. sort of three years ago. Yeah, so mm. we, we put an application to council on the 28th of June mm-hmm. 2012, but approval in December 
and started early 2013. Mm-hmm. Uh, 19 months and 11 days later, we mm-hmm. had CASA certification and first flight on the 17th of November last year. Mm-hmm. And the only privately owned uh, major airport in Australia, is that right? No, no. It's, um, it's the first uh, public, Greenfield public airport that's been built since Tullamarine in half a century. Mm-hmm. And it's the first a privately funded Greenfield public airport that's ever been built in the country since right. Federation. Wow. So a lot of the airports uh, are owned by private organisations, superannuation funds and the like. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've chosen to uh, retain ownership of this airport and retain the operational side as well. Mm-hmm. And within the Wagner's family, you've really taken the core, the, the major responsibility in driving this. Um, no, that's not the case. Uh, Dennis Wagner handled all the construction. Okay. So basically, he he did the construction side of things, and I did the operational side of okay. things, getting all the airspace sorted, the yep. airline deals, mm-hmm. and and you know all the stuff that you needed to do to when you get to CASA certification mm-hmm. to be able to start. Mm-hmm. So no, it was very much a joint effort, and the other two boys were doing other things right. uh, with the business that allowed myself and Dennis to sure. to do that. So it was very much a um, a combined deal. It wasn't mm-hmm. one person. Okay. And uh, if you think back across that sort of three years of from then to now, what have been some of the, the elements of getting the airport up that you've really enjoyed, some of the challenges that you've really uh, taken a lot of pleasure from uh, succeeding in? Well, the, the, the major challenges... For us, um, when we started, was that we we built the airport in the Department of Defence's restricted area. Okay. Um, and that was a you know very um, that's where the, our property was, so we had no choice. Um, but to get the airspace resolution as quick as we did um, from Defence and CASA was a it was a great achievement. Um, then I, I think the the other big achievement was to get an airline to have enough faith in our region to start a service. Mm-hmm. That was Qantas Link. Uh, so they're our foundation uh, customer. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, fantastic organisation and have been great to deal with. We then had Rex come on board uh, on the 1st of January this year. And they're also a great organisation and good operators. And uh, the highlight of the last 12 months is having our first 747-800 cargo mm. aircraft. Which was only here, last month, wasn't it? Which was on the 23rd of November. Right, fantastic. Um, and that was a big day for Toowoomba, a big day for Wagner's, a big day for WorldCare. Sure. And a big day for the state, actually, because it's the first time a 747-800, um, which is a big jumbo, has ever been into a regional port in the country. Okay, okay. So it's a big so- deal. I imagine, uh, you know, when you're going and pitching to Qantas Link, for example, uh, considering how to actually present in order to secure that business, um, that's not for the faint-hearted, is it? No, it's not. We we had a lot of consultants come to us and say, you know, you people don't know what you're doing. You need us to help you negotiate the right. agreements. And, and our view collectively was that, you know, we've been dealing with the Russian mafia, the New Caledonian waterfront, <laughs> And all these other thugs, right? Um, the airlines can't be, can't be that bad. Sure. And uh, we we took the approach uh, with the airlines that you know without an airline the airport's valueless, and without um, airports to land at, the airlines mm. uh, can't operate. So if uh, if we tried to screw them, or they tried to screw us, it it just wouldn't work. Mm. So you know it, it's been a very good experience, I've got to say. Mm. And you, you've that expression, build it and they will come. Uh, the airport, you'd already made the commitment before then in going and securing these uh, airline opportunities? We didn't have an airline until the airport was practically completed. Right. So it was a big risk. Sure. But we felt that uh, it was a calculated risk, given mm-hmm. that we're the second biggest inland city in Australia. Mm-hmm. We've got a catchment of 344,000 people, which is the 11th biggest catchment in the country. Mm-hmm. And we've got the biggest uh, uh, agricultural producing area in the country, biggest concentration of feedlot cattle in the country. We've got a big mining sector, both coal and coal seam gas. 
and very diverse economy. So big health centre, big education centre, big university here. It just made sense. Right. And uh, obviously it's been successful sitting on the table here in front of me, a couple of uh, uh, big awards. What sort of uh, recognition have you gotten? Um, well, the, the, I'll, I'll put it a couple of different ways. First of all, when we decided to build this airport, we had no appreciation of how much confidence it would instill into the Toowoomba business community or the mm -hmm. regional business community and, and how much investment that would attract. Mm -hmm. uh, secondly, it's really put Toowoomba on the national and international map. Um, and uh, thirdly, you know, we've we've recently won the the best regional large regional airport award in the mm -hmm. country, and the most innovative uh, engineering piece of infrastructure mm -hmm. um, in the country as far okay. as airports go. So it's it was it's it's been a few big achievements this sure. year. So what would be some of the uh, key innovations in terms of what you've done here? Uh, as compared to more traditional airport design, uh, well, the big the big one is the earth friendly concrete. Okay. So all the concrete that um, is involved in the construction of of the uh, runways and taxiways and parking areas doesn't have any cement. So it's concrete without cement. It's a geopolymer concrete that we've developed in house, um, and. Um, every tonne of cement is a tonne of carbon. Mm -hmm. So we save 6,600 tonnes of carbon on this job. Mm -hmm. And it's the greenest airport that's ever been built in the world. Is that right? Yeah. Fantastic. And um, did you develop that new technology specifically for the airport or is there something that you were already working on that just made sense to use here as well? No, we've, we've been working on it for six years. Right. Um, because we, we have always had the philosophy that we just don't follow other companies mm -hmm. and, and uh, technology. We, we like to be ahead of the pack. Mm -hmm. So we started in our composite fibre technology business, which is a business that Neil Wagner runs, uh, doing R&D, and that's turned into a full commercial operation. It's a fantastic business. Um, and we started to try and work out how we could build a composite railway sleeper. Okay. So we got involved in geopolymer concretes, and then we developed the earth-friendly concrete, and now that um, I think that's going to revolutionise the way concrete's done in the world. Mm -hmm. And uh, so, really, um, there's no examples of where others are doing that already. That's something that you've driven from uh, the ground up. No, the the, the uh, no cement concrete has been around for since the Romans. Okay, but the difference between what other people have done and what we've been able to achieve is it looks like concrete, it acts like concrete. It's the same price as normal concrete, mm -hmm. but it's got far superior qualities okay. to ordinary Portland cement concrete. Right. Interesting. Far superior. Okay. And the reason we wanted to use it um, here at WellCamp is to promote our own product. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if people can see a jumbo jet landing on it, they can say, well, it must be pretty good. Sure. Um, and as a result of that, now we expect to pick up a number of major projects internationally uh -huh. for the use of this product. Where they'll just essentially license your IP? Is yeah, that we'll, we'll license the IP and right. help with the technical side of things and sell them the product. Okay, fantastic. One of the other things I'm interested in talking about, you're the inaugural chairman of the Toowoomba and Surratt Basin Enterprise. So yep. obviously it was important to you to make a, a big commitment to supporting the local economy and, and local business. What um, what sort of drives you in that regard? Well, I, I have a very strong belief that Toowoomba is one of the best places in, in the country to do business and to live. Mm -hmm. um, it, it's got a, a, a fantastic, um, diverse economy, but we haven't sold ourselves well. Okay. Um, so we started TSBE, I've been the chairman for the first four and a half years, I've just stood down from that. Um, and what it's done, that organisation, and we through our CEO Shane Charles, we've put uh, Toowoomba and our region on the national and international map. Mm -hmm. And we've um, uh, had so much uh, economic development activity as a result of TSBE, it's... Uh, 
it's just been a fantastic organisation. Mm -hmm. What are some of the uh, key initiatives that you've uh, led um, that have enabled you know, Toowoomba to really sort of build its profile? Well, um, just by selling our story. Okay. You know, we needed to get the right marketing material. We needed to be very proactive at all levels of government. We need to we needed to get the governments to understand we needed major infrastructure projects to happen. So mm -hmm. we've got the airport, we've got the second range crossing, mm -hmm. which is a one point six billion dollar road project that's underway here in Toowoomba. We've got um, QIC um, spending $500 million downtown uh, on a new shopping centre. So the place is actually booming, you know, sure. and uh, it's a great place to invest. Mm -hmm. And what do you see as being the um, the current state of the coal and gas space and, and, you know, the mining industry and what, what effect is uh, what's happening in that market now and in the future going to have on Toowoomba, do you think? Well, Toowoomba's the gateway to the Surat Basin, the Bowen Basin, and a lesser degree in the Cooper Basin. Um, so it's a service centre for those regions. Coal seam gas is here for the next 30-odd years. It's got to feed the three LNG plants uh, in Gladstone. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there's, there's uh, 400 new wells just for one company uh, has just been released. So that's sort of $1.6 billion or something, you know, it's a serious sure. uh, project. Uh, we've got some big coal mines in our region, particularly in the southern Surat, and it's a cyclical business. It'll it'll just come back, you mm -hmm. know, so it'll mm -hmm. take a few years. And, and um, But Toowoomba, because it's got a diverse economy, particularly with agriculture and education and health, uh, it, it will certainly see out that. So it's a very stable economy here. Um, and, uh, you know, the coal seam gas has gone from uh, construction to operations, so it's a, a much smoother business now versus the lumpy one. Mm -hmm. Look, it's been the last three or four years. Mm -hmm. Okay. And, uh, and coming back to Wagner, so you spoke about in the early days, it was really your brothers and your dad um, setting the sort of early goals and, and taking the business in the direction. At what point did you decide that you potentially needed some... Um, uh, external assistance. Do you have a board it, uh, as such now? Yeah, well, we've, we've never really had any external assistance of any note. Mm -hmm. uh, we have one external board member, um, and that's really to make sure that the four of us who sit on the board are, you know, keep a balanced view. Sure, yeah. And to make sure that, you know, the view of the four brothers and our senior management are aligned you know mm -hmm. so it's been a very healthy okay. place to be and uh, how long ago did you decide that you needed that person uh he's coming up to five years right okay so uh we have a board meeting once a month yep uh our board meetings go for eight hours mm -hmm. um we spend the first two hours with our senior management team and some people down the chain right down to people on the workshop floor mm -hmm. uh, on safety and QA, mm -hmm. uh, one and a half hours on safety and a half hour on QA, and then we get into our board proper. That happens every month, religiously, and that's really driven our safety and quality culture. Um, and we, we're probably more operational than we should be, but the general perspective is that, you know, there's a lot of uh, company knowledge in the, the heads of the four directors, so mm -hmm. we... Um, we try to impart that in a nice way to our senior management team and then they go and execute it. Mm -hmm. okay. and it, it works very well, actually. Right. And uh, is there any view as to whether you'd include additional non-family, non-executive directors in the business in the future or not? Yeah, we, we may, we may uh, do that at uh -huh. the moment. Um, I don't see a need to do that, but that could, that could right. change over the next year or two. It's uh, yeah, one thing about being a family company with four owners you can make decisions very quickly mm -hmm. and if things change you can be very dynamic mm -hmm. okay uh we've already talked about um, bits of this but if you look to the future say five to ten years from now where would you like to see wagons as a business in that time uh i, I would like to see us more of an infrastructure business um we're, we're building a, a new wharf in brisbane at our cement plant which mm -hmm. will be a multi-years wharf so that's a big infrastructure project mm -hmm. The airport obviously is a big infrastructure project and we'd like to get 
uh, into the ownership of more airports uh, and more facilities that we can take through to the next generation because you know we have to look at look at um, you know succession planning now how we take that forward and that's mm-hmm. a trick with any private business sure um, and and get to a point uh, eventually where it doesn't take one of the four Wagner brothers to to help run the business. It can be run by external people and mm-hmm. they can, the next generation can be shareholders rather than managers. The next generation meaning your children? Yes. Right. And are there, I mean, imagine across a, uh, the family there must be lots of uh, kids, are many of them involved in the business? Um, the, the four owners have four children each. Right. Uh, my eldest son works for the business. Okay. Dennis's second eldest son works part-time for the business and the other guys are still sort of going through school. Right, fair enough. Mm-hmm. Um, and you mentioned getting involved in more airports. Is that investing in established airports or are you keen to continue developing greenfield airports? Uh, it could be some of both, actually. Okay. Yeah. Right. So um, there's a number of opportunities that are out there in the market at the moment that we will... Internationally? Handle. Internationally and right. domestically. So Fantastic. We won't just... Um, you know, we've got a lot of expertise now mm-hmm. in what we've done. Um, we've won a contract to build an, another greenfield airport. That's okay. for the Adani uh, coal mine yes. in, the, uh, um, in the Galilee Basin. And we've also won a contract to build another uh, greenfield airport if it happens up in the northwest of Western Australia. So okay. it's, it's something that we see that we've got some pretty good expertise in now. Okay, fantastic. So uh, the intent of this podcast is for people who are aspiring to senior leadership roles or to run their own successful companies, uh, to listen to those who have walked the path before them. You know, um, what would be some of the key uh, lessons that you've learned in your career or key pieces of advice that you'd offer anybody listening to this podcast about how to um, manage their own success? Um, I think one of the things that we didn't do very well initially was forecast um, and budget. We sort of ran the business, um, you know, by the seat of our pants, really. Um, And fortunately, we made more good decisions than bad ones. Mm -hmm. But I would say... um, you know, have a really good look at your business plan and, and think about, you know, a, why are you doing something? What can go wrong? You know, what could come out of left field? Um, particularly around, you know, banks and banking and make sure you've always got more than one bank mm-hmm. um, so that so that you haven't got all your eggs in one basket um, because there's things that happen outside your control. So sure. the global financial crisis which no one sort of saw coming, really, and uh, brought a lot of people undone. So I think it's uh, it's important to to not all, not have all your eggs in one basket. The other thing is that I think the lesson that we've learned and we've been successful at is make sure that you don't have one big customer that if they go broke, your business is, right. is uh, in strife, or if they leave you, in fact. You know, so you see people that, just work for Coles or Woolies and then mm-hmm. they lose their contract and mm-hmm. they effectively, all their goodwill is walked out the door. Sure. So uh, have a broad range of customers, have a broad base of, um, you know, if you can, geographical uh, locations. And, mm-hmm. and uh, But really just sort of think about what you're doing before you go into it head first. Mm-hmm. And what are some of the things that you do to... Um, continue to keep your thinking fresh and be looking and learning um, in order to apply that into your own business? Um, I think it's, uh, I, I think in our case, the four of us do a fair bit of travel. So we, okay. we're we sort of seeing what the trends are around mm-hmm. the world. Um, we, uh, you know, we're, we're always, you know, when you get four, you know, 50 year olds in the room, you can generate a lot of ideas in a hurry. <laughs> I bet. So, uh, you know, we, we feed off each other. Right. Uh, and we feed off our senior management team and and uh, we, we we like to give them as much autonomy as possible. Mm-hmm. So, you know, they're out running the business and making mm-hmm. their own decisions within a, a, a framework. And we're off thinking about what else we can get our okay. hands on. Sure. Are you reading um, or uh, do you have an eye on what's happening in terms of 
the uh, the um, business leaders out there, or is it more in terms of your own practical travelling and and just yeah. uh, picking up as you no, go? I, I I read very little, um, and it's really you know talking to people, mm. um, mixing with successful people, and. And mm-hmm. trying to work out where the trends are and what's happening. Mm-hmm. Great. Well, look. Uh, before we finish, John, um, uh, we've talked a lot about you professionally, but what about when you're not working? What are the kind of things you enjoy doing? Uh, well, as I said, I've, I've had four um, children that are all grown up, and uh, most of them left home. So that that's been a big part of my life to date. Um, but I, I spend time. I, I have a nice boat up in the Whit Sundays. Okay. So I spend as much time up there as I can. Um, you know, I fly helicopters and fixed-wing aircraft, so it's mm-hmm. a bit of a passion for me. Um, and a, between family and those two things, I'm I'm pretty well absorbed. I'm sure. And so before we finish up, any final thoughts or comments that you'd like to potentially leave people listening to the podcast with? Um, just back yourself, I think. Mm-hmm. You know, if it feels right in your gut, do it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's really about that. You know, look at all the pros and cons, but if it feels right, then then back yourself, and uh, you know, eventually it'll work out. Mm-hmm. Well, great advice, John. I really thanks very much uh, for taking the time and your hospitality. Have a fantastic afternoon. Thanks, Richard. All the best. I find it fascinating to meet with people who are able to establish, maintain and grow family-owned businesses. No doubt the challenges of having to work with your siblings and parents uh, is not for the faint-hearted, but certainly it seems that John and his family have been able to do this extremely successfully. And from humble beginnings and with no university qualifications, John has, I'm sure you would agree, achieved amazing things in his own career and for his family and for the broader economy of Toowoomba. I thought that was a great conversation. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. I look forward to having you along for future Arate podcasts. And in the meantime, have a fantastic afternoon.